Our sermon text today comes from Genesis chapter 24. The story actually begins at the first verse, though I will start reading at verse 34, so I'll give you a little context. So in the first verses of this chapter, Abraham sends his servant to his home country to seek a wife for Isaac. He speaks to Laban, the servant speaks to Laban, the son of Abraham's cousin. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and has become wealthy. He has given him many flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and get a wife for my son. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will only make successful the way I am going, I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw, to whom I say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has anointed my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. And I said to her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put a ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms, and then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to obtain the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So then, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn either to the right hand or to the left. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will. And they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse along with Abraham's servants and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of myriads. May your offspring gain possession of the gates of their foes. Then Rebekah rose up with her maids, mounted the camels, and followed the man, thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy and was settled in Negev. Isaac went out in the evening to walk in the field and looked up and saw the camels coming. And Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, who is this man over there walking in the field to meet us? 
And the servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. So often in the Bible, there is the text and the context and then the subtext of the story. And it's hard sometimes to know whether we should pay attention to what part of that in the story itself or to pay attention to what might be rumbling in the background, a message behind the message. The chunks of this particular story, the story of Abraham and Sarah's miracle baby Isaac finding a wife, seems pretty straightforward. Dad, Abraham, is coming to the end of his very long life. His story, of course, began with a word from God for him to go from his homeland of Ur to the land of the Canaanites. And he and Sarah have had an astonishing promise fulfilled that they would have a child in their old age. So Isaac arrives with a wink and a smile and great laughter from Mama. He has also gone through his range of dangers and toils, not the least of which was him coming within a hair's breadth of being sacrificed by his father on the mountain. But that's all past, and this moment his mother, Sarah, has died. Ancient Abraham is in grief and sees it's time to pass on his wealth to his son and ensure his future by finding a wife for Isaac. So with sights set on the calling from God that took him on that circuitous and grand adventure, the future has yet to be fulfilled and Abraham calls his servant of the house and confides in him that he wants Isaac to have a wife from his home country. The servant, who must have had a very close relationship with Abraham, wonders out loud if this is a very realistic proposition. What if I find the right woman, but she won't come? I might need to take Isaac back to the old country. Nope, says Abraham. If she won't come, you are off the hook. So the servant takes gifts, camels and a whole lot of uncertainty and sets out for Abraham's home country. Well, this is the launch of the text or the story. And behind the story, of course, is the context or the backdrop, the continuous narrative arc of challenges in the early blessed ones who listen to God's call, hear the promise, face uncertainty, come to a precipice, and out of deep faith, trust in the sustaining presence of God. It is an undeniable need that in order to live into that promise of children as many as the stars, that a wife must be found. 
And in this case, that person is miles away, and there's immense uncertainty whether A, the servant sent by Abraham, will be able to know who the right one is, and B, if chosen one is evident, if she will cooperate. So the overarching context is one of sheer blessing of God and God's love for family and the promise that is at the core of this. Yet in this story, this very romantic, gentle, serene story, God's part is not very evident. There are no earthquakes, no fire on the mountain, no burning bush. The workings of God here are not spectacular and magical or odd. It arises from profound gratitude of the actors who respond to God, the servant, Rebecca, Laban, her brother, and their father, when the gifts of life and love and deep respect are bestowed. And then, of course, there are the various subtexts, which I've named, like blessing and faithful response. But there's also sort of like a subtext of a little comic edge to this story. It's a random set of circumstances. A visitor from a far country comes down to town bearing gifts for someone they don't know. The servant doesn't know what she looks like or whether she is possibly there at all and whether she will walk out of the tent right at the perfect moment, randomly offering the camels a drink and the guest a drink. It sounds kind of like a fictitious spoof, but on the other hand, the natural sequence of affairs holds more than meets the eye. But one thing in all of this story is very certain. You never know what's coming. Did Rebecca have a clue that day that the servant sent from her first cousin once removed Abraham would be a day that would change her entire life? Did that servant, when he thought to himself or prayed to God or chatted it up with the camels, know that when the right one showed up at the well, and even if she did, he implied that maybe she would give a drink to the camel or in so many words to her that she would be the right one. Did he think it would happen just as he thought? Hmm. And what about Isaac, who was likely sitting Shiva with the passing of his mother? We don't know if he was clued in by his papa about the activity that was going on in the old country, Ur. But it all kicks into gear, and with a ready trust and a leaning into the blessings of God, the sequence of events has more and more involved than meets the eye. In essence, the subtext of this story is actually an amazing love story, a love story with so many dimensions. It is the vast, reaching love of God between Abraham and Sarah. It is the vast, unreaching, reaching love of God that emerges between Abraham and Isaac when a ram in a thicket sames the day. It is the reaching love of God that arises from a risky plot that completely depended on the consent of a young woman who ventured out to a well 
and her life changed in a nanosecond. And this leads to the tender and moving conclusion of Rebecca packing up, journeying to an unknown future, scanning the horizon for the one she is to marry, and into her mother-in-law's tent, she goes to launch a future that leads us where? It actually leads us right here, in this place, grounded in that uncanny plot of God's faithful story and persistent love for them and for us. And it won't stop because that sweeping love continues in this day in the way that God's gift comes to us in Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is, you never know where it will show up, where God will show up. I think in our own lives, we encounter many unexpected, you never know what's coming times. Often it seems that there are not the unexpected things that we relish. With so much social unrest, heartbreaking disappointment in our own lives, there are so many situations that jerk us around the you-never-know reality that we may feel at times like we are kind of in endless trauma. Take racial unrest across every sector of this country, including the dismantling of affirmative action. Take war and political alignments that are shaking the foundations of any predictability. Take the aftermath of COVID or the deep harm being done to our GLBTQIA siblings. Indeed, much of what is showing up is unsettling and unwelcome. And I often look for signposts when I feel overwhelmed, a kind of GPS for the soul, and so when a blog from my friend Diana Butler-Bass, a social commentator, came in my email this week, I opened it to discover a remarkably helpful perspective to this thing of you never know. Looking at the worlds that take shape today, Butler-Bass draws on the insight of Brown University historian William McLaughlin. Dr. McLaughlin gives a fascinating perspective on the difference between a cultural revival and a cultural awakening. Revivals, says McLaughlin, are essentially rituals of personal religious renewal that are often emotional and always involve conversion of some sort. And by contrast, an awakening is a much larger event. Awakenings are movements in cultural revitalization that eventuate in basic restructuring of our institutions and redefinition of our social goals, revivals, and awakenings occur in all cultures. They reshape identity, transform worn-out patterns and systems, and engender social change. So what does this have to do with Isaac and Rebecca? Well, it has to do with the fact that we are in a time of great cultural change, just as they were. And I truly believe that in many ways that the landing of that great awakening happened in their lives as they trusted God to be present to them. And that great awakening may well 
be the message that arises out of their commitment in this very congregation. A deep revitalization could be rumbling under the very ground on which we stand. And the scripture lesson we encountered today is a trustworthy servant who was sent on a mission to find a wife for a man to be a blessing for past and future. And it's a mighty reminder that you absolutely never know what this moment in time may hold. And even more, you never know when the power of yes, I will go, may arise from your lips and you will pack up and step boldly into the future. Truly, this is a great awakening. Part of what comes to us is the congregation of Fourth Presbyterian Church that does arise from this story is that the new day in our life is ahead of us. Abraham knew that his legacy necessitated finding a wife for his son. He knew that the blessedness of his own life had to be lived out in the next generation. So also the faith with which we are engaged is not a little spark that gets extinguished by the storms of life, but it is a burning passion in our lives that trust that God is not done yet. It's akin to what theologian Karl Barth preached in Basel, Switzerland prison in 1955 when he said the term, by grace you have been saved, does not mean a little courage and a little comfort and a little relief. It means to be pulled out like a log from a burning fire. Sometimes the word and work of God startles us, challenges us, sends us into life with uncanny power. It might come like the word to Abraham to go from his homeland to a land God would show him. And at other times, the word and work of God arises on any old day without much flair or fanfare, like at a well when someone meets up with a menagerie of camels or a herd of little kids or a carload of teens who need a drink and you're kind because that's who you are and the rest, they say, is history. And sometimes you shock yourself when the call comes to go to a foreign territory across town or across the globe and you, like Rebecca, find yourself saying, yes, I will go and you never ever know what is ahead of you. Well, actually, you can trust that the blessed love of God, of Christ Jesus, and the Spirit's fiery, fiery light is right there for you. And so on this day, be ready, be alert, and know that the best is ahead of us this day and forever. Amen.